0: As you're turning there, I wonder um, what are the top three things that you need right now? Um, you can even, if you're a note taker and you have like a, an actual old school pen and paper, you can even like write those down. Like what are the top two or three things that if you had them now, your life would be better? And maybe it's in your iPhone X if that's anything. Else. But what are the, what are, you can actually write that down. Um, what, what are like two different things, and don't rethink it, that right now would make your life it could be very practical things. Like you might literally be thinking as I ask that, well, like we're gonna stop by the grocery store on the way home because our pantry is empty and we need to we get ready to leave Maybe it's eating groceries. That's what's I'm doing right now. Uh, maybe it's a, a little bigger scale. Maybe you're thinking about your employment and you don't have a job. And so it's like, I really need a job. Or maybe you have a job but you're looking for a different one or you need a promotion or something like that. So you think, what I need now is to get that promotion or to get that, that job change. Uh, maybe it's financially related, which very tied into our sermon today. Maybe it's if you think, if you think, well, I want to get to this level of savings or retirement fund, or uh, I want to bring the level of debt down to this level that we're sort of striving after. Uh, maybe it's not related to those things at all. Maybe it is it's relational. Maybe the question, what do I need right now to make my life better? Maybe you find feel still okay. Your job was pretty good. You feel very lonely. And so you think, I just need a friend would be awesome. A friend who really knows me, like likes to hang out. And maybe you could proactively pursue. Um, or maybe it's relation that you really want to be dating someone, you're Or you really long to be married, but you're not. Or you are longing for a child of your own. And um, and it's just, for some reason, it's not happening right now. You're just begging the Lord for that. And you hear that question, and you think you would give anything to have a child of your own. Um, <clears throat> Or maybe you're in a very different phase of life altogether, and you hear me ask, What do you need right now? You're thinking about, like, a certain video game that you're saving up your allowance for, and you're ready to pull the trigger on in a few weeks. Um, or maybe you are so burnt out and exhausted with life that your only answer is that you need a nap. And you're just so tired. You can, like, you can only think about going home and getting some sleep. Um, this passage is about what we need right now. Um, Paul's talking about being in need. He's talking about having an abundance. And then he's talking about what it means to be content. And this passage, it leans into us and it forces us to really think about what we need and what we already have available to us right now. So I'm going to read this passage. Jesus 4, 20. I rejoice to the Lord greatly, now at length, that you
1: have provided your concern
0: for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in the game, for I have learned whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought alone, and I know how to abandon. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty of hunger, abundance of need. I can do all things for him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church turned into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I receive full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we do pause and we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You have not left us to try to figure it out on our own, but You have spoken to us in Your Word. And so right now we beg You for Your Holy Spirit. Uh, We can't understand these words unless Your Holy Spirit actually comes inside of us and gives us understanding. And so Father, we beg You to do that now. Um, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I wonder if you have a neighbor or someone that you're close to that whenever you have like a mechanical problem with your car or an issue with your house, they're like automatically your first phone call. I have a neighbor who fulfills such a role. And I need to call him because I actually have a few real neighbors who go to resurrection. Um, They're really great and handy, but this is not the neighbor I'm speaking of. I'll call this neighbor Matt uh, because his name is Matt. Uh, so uh, Matt uh, is the one that anytime I have an issue pop up in my house or the car, anything that like, requires like technical knowledge, he is my first number well, Here's some examples of what I've called Matt. Um, when I need a tool um, to put something together, and I'm not sure what tool I need, um, I call him. Because he not only knows what tool I need, he owns said tool and can show me how to use said tool. Um, the multiple times I've found rodents in my house. Mice, possums, you know, normal stuff you find in your house. Um, uh, I will call Matt to ask for his help or advice on what I should do or should not do in getting the roads out. Um, multiple times, um, either my car Aaron's car has died in our driveway or garage. This happened like in a series of like four times in a row a years ago. And I called Matt to help me figure out what to do uh, with my car. And he's helped me um, into so many different areas of my um, home and automotive life. Uh, fix broken things. And um, he, he's become such a quick phone call for me that almost even before I even try to think about solving the problem, I'll call him. Um, because a lot of times, I don't know what I need to do in this next in in situation. But I know that Matt will know, and I know that he will be so quick to, to share that information and share um, whatever it is that I need um, to fix the problem with me. In our passage, Paul is talking a lot about needs. When he's ultimately going to tell us is is that um, Jesus knows what we need, and He gives us all that we need. Specifically, He's going to say that in Jesus we're not alone. In Jesus we can be content, and in Jesus we're provided for. So those are three headings that we'll think about together this afternoon. First, in Jesus we're not alone. Um, okay, so like I mentioned, we're wrapping up the series in Philippians, and if you've been following along, um, you may have felt that the Apostle Paul who's writing this letter to the church, this Philippian church, they're actually friends. Like, they really actually like each other. This was the first church that he planted in Europe, and so they had this history of friendship, and even being partners in ministry, which he talks about throughout this passage. Verse 10, you can see in the text, he says, I rejoice the Lord greatly, that now at length you have, what, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So there's initially this partnership between the Philippian church and Paul, and they were financially supporting his ministry, for some reason they had to pause that, but now they're back at it again. He says they revived their concern. And he goes on in verse 14 in our passage, he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. So Paul's there, we don't know exactly a lot of what's going on there, but we know that Paul's looking for partnership, financial support and resources, for some reason, there weren't other churches that were going to partner with them, but the Philippians decided to. Uh, continuing on, in verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And then he says something interesting, which we'll talk about in a moment. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I receive full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The Philippian church gave generously. To and he actually talks about that in another one of his letters. He's talking about this very instance. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1-5. through 5. It's not printed for you, but maybe you can jot it down and read it later this week. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-5. through 5. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He's talking about the For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Just a really cool testimony of how the Philippians had partnered with them. Paul was not alone in ministry. The Philippians were not alone in ministry. As Paul writes in this letter, they were partnered together each encouraging each other, giving of themselves to each other. They were really in this together. They were not alone. And these were not just like pat on the back words of encouragement, but according to 2 Corinthians, the Philippians were giving according to their means and even beyond their means. Every time I read that, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit squirmy inside. Giving is one thing, giving beyond our means is another. And that's what it says they were doing. And why were they partnered? Why were they friends? Why do they have this relationship? Because they were both in Christ. So commentators and scholars who talk about Philippians, they point out this interesting theme when Paul talks about his friendship with the Philippians. He doesn't just say, it's not just Paul plus the Philippians. It's always Paul plus the Philippians plus Jesus. That's how Paul thinks about friendship. Paul plus Philippians plus Jesus. There's this three person friendship that's always present when two believers are friends. Jesus is the bond that they share Jesus creates this partnership and this friendship between them. So Jesus is a bond that all followers of Jesus share. And so we are never alone. We are always connected each other to each other because we're always connected to Christ. Um, so I have a friend who has multiple tattoos. And um, I asked him recently about some of the stories behind um, his tattoos. If you, have, if you have a tattoo or you have a friend with tattoos, it's always a great question because there's always a story. And so I asked him um, about one thing, and he said that um, the one represents the summer that he spent. So he um, and some of his friends had this amazing summer together after college. And it was so epic that during the summer they referred to themselves as the presidents of summer. And so everyone in this group eventually got tattoos of former presidents wearing sunglasses. Thomas, I'm not making this um, they shared, by the way I'm not making any comments about tattoos I'm just sharing a story about tattoos they sh- Their shared experience Of that one summer was Transformative for them And they sealed the deal by getting Inked and now they're going to Remember that and share that bond Forever um, Paul and the Philippians had this shared experience Of Jesus Of being in Christ As Paul talks about it giving them the strongest bond of friendship and partnership that they could ever have, and they are going to share that not just for life, but for all eternity. And I wonder if you feel that bond with other followers of Jesus. Do you feel that? Sometimes we don't, if we're honest. I know, sometimes I don't. Sometimes we feel more bonded with people who share hobbies, uh, maybe like you're a crossfitter, and like you feel so connected the other crossfitters at your gym. Like, those are your people. They get you. They eat the same things. They, they have the same priorities of you. You feel so connected. Maybe more so than you do when you're around other followers of Jesus. Um, so maybe it's hobbies. Uh, maybe it's income bracket. Where um, maybe rather than followers of Jesus, when you're around kind of people that do life on a similar um, income level as you, you sort of feel at home because they traffic in the same circles, have the same hobbies, <coughs> drive the same thing, live in the same neighborhoods, that sort of thing you feel more at home with a shared income bracket. Um, maybe it's political, right? Rather than being connected to followers of Jesus, you feel more connected to the same, to people within your political party. That, like Reardon said, big time during election season, and it, and it, it always tends to, where where, uh, where we feel most connected is kind of revealed in that way. Um, regardless of uh, how we feel, or where we feel a stronger bond, or where we feel more connected, Um, This shared bond in Jesus is the strongest bond we could feel, we could ever experience We are actually in the family of God together. And the more we live into this reality and embrace that primary bond, think about what happens to the church. The more beautifully diverse the church becomes, because we're no longer gathering just around shared hobbies or shared income level or shared politics, but we're gathering around Jesus. So that means we are gathering together as people with different hobbies, and different income levels, and different political opinions, all together around Christ. That's what Paul and the Philippians shared. So in Jesus, they weren't alone, and we're not alone. And it's interesting that in the midst of this partnership, friendship, shared resources that Paul is talking about, he says specifically about their giving, that Paul's receiving, you may have noticed this, this happens in verse 17 after, Paul's receiving of their money is not the main benefit here. He says the main benefit in verse 17 is what? Their spiritual growth by doing the act of giving. He says that he seeks the fruit that increases to uh, your credit, to their credit. So the real gift is the nearness to Jesus that they experience as they give sacrificially. That that's the greater gift in this picture. And I wonder, just very practically as an aside, if you've ever felt that before. Uh, maybe you have been a part of a, of a campaign for a nonprofit or a church or something like that, where you were asked to stretch to give significantly towards something, and and, 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 it, and it pushed you from beyond what you were thinking initially, but you actually felt God's blessing. I you know feeling God's blessing—that's tricky language for Presbyterians—but there was something that you felt in that season. Where you felt more near to Christ, where you felt more dependent, where you grew spiritually. That's what he's describing. In verse 18, he mentions that their giving is a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God, that there is this deep spiritual growth and nearness to Christ that happens as they give of themselves towards Paul's ministry. And that's the real gift that he talks about. So, this is a partnership. And friendship that Paul talks about, that they're they're sharing between Paul and the Philippians, um, they're not alone, and in Jesus, we're not alone. Okay, secondly, in Jesus, we can be content. In Jesus, we can be content. I wonder if you struggle with contentment. I certainly do. Uh, kids, this is what contentment looks like. Um, I wonder, I think by now, most schools, there's actually still some that haven't had a spring break yet. But either way, whether you're about to go a spring break or you've had a spring break, the few weeks leading up to spring break, kids, like, what are you doing? You are thinking nonstop about spring break, whatever. Even if you're just going to be sitting at home not in school, or if you're going to be on that trip you've been talking about for months, um, you are thinking about once we go on that trip or do that thing or I'm not in school and not in it's going to be awesome. Okay, The feelings of it's going to be better then, that's discontentment. That's struggling to feel content when you know something great is on the horizon. Um, and then after spring break, right, I am probably counting down towards summer break know teachers would maybe have that scratch off the calendar or think about that. It's always easier to have our eyes set on the next thing. Um, the change in the weather. I try not to be someone who talks about the weather, but I realize I'm someone who talks about the weather. When it's warm I'm like, oh how about this warm weather? You know, what a day. Can't wait till it gets warmer. Can't wait till this summer. And then it's the summer and we say what can't wait till the fall. Can't wait till it snows one time this winter. It's always like the next thing that we're thinking about. Maybe it's a house project that you're working on. And you just think, okay, once we get this work done, then go away. Maybe it's financial related. You're paying off the debt You think, you know, once we get, once we're done with these student loans, think about the income will be freed up and start putting out the plans for after that. What is the thing right now that is like stirring discontentment inside of you? It's almost like, think about like as a big vat of things that like once we get these things resolved, then life's going to be better. It's like this vat that's stirring inside of you where you're just thinking you just can't wait to get stuff out of there what is the discontentment that's stirring inside of you right now? Paul is talking about contentment, and he talks about his own experiences of resources and finances. In verses 11 through 13, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." Okay, so a lot there he talks about being content in need, content when he's in need. Verse 12, low, facing hunger, in need. And I think we can actually connect with that pretty easily because most of the time we feel discontent is because there's something that we want that we don't have. We feel like we're in need, and we feel like we will be content when we get the thing that we don't have that. Um, Again, if I can just get X number of dollars put away in savings, or if I can just get a pay increase to this level, or if I could just afford a home, if we just qualify for a loan for a home, at this level, however you feel that plane. But into that feeling of needing more in order to be content, what does Paul say? Look at the text. He says that he's learned to be content when he's in need. That when he goes without, when that need that feels urgent is not met, he feels content. Okay, and I feel like, yes, check. We're on board with that. We can relate to that. We're tracking Okay, but maybe more surprisingly, he talks about being content in abundance. Um, look at verse 12. He talks about he's learned how to abound, how to face plenty, how to have an abundance. This one was more difficult, to be honest, for me to get my head around. Um, when resources are overflowing, maybe more money than you can spend. Maybe you're, you're able to get the best of everything. Maybe the college fund is like, check it off the list. It's accounted for. It is like time of abundance for you. Maybe you've experienced that, or experienced that. Maybe you have not experienced that. But what is Paul saying into that uh, sense of abundance? What is he saying about contentment? If, if somehow we, we have to learn to be content in abundance, what does that say about contentment? Paul is telling us that contentment is not ultimately tied to our money or our stuff or any or It's tied to a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus. That's why if you have ever experienced abundance, and whether that's like able to buy groceries comfortably for the month or, you know, college fund provided for, it never feels like enough. It never feels like enough. I had an entrepreneur in another city um, tell me years ago, he was well into his career at this point, he was convinced he was going to be content. By the way, he's a follower of Jesus and knew that stuff wasn't the answer, money wasn't the answer, and he was convinced that when he made his first million, that would be enough. And he told me, he said, after he made $1 million, he just started getting up to it. There wasn't enough. I had a senior professor at a class one time that I was sitting in. Um, and keep in mind, this, the, the, the sort of average profile was like, um, kind of like rice and beans, grad student, maybe newly married, uh, maybe like starting a family. So like just kind of scraping by into that context. The senior professor says, how many of you think that $5,000 more right now would make your life better? And every one of us shot our arms up. Yes, 100%. That's me. Oddly enough. I was sitting next to a CEO of a fairly large company. He was more of like a non-traditional centering student. And so he leaned over to me. He's like, 5,000? It's like, how about 50,000? I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. 5,000, 50,000. Either one's great. great." Has your abundance ever been enough? Would you even consider yourself of, of having ever experienced abundance? Paul is saying he had to learn to be content both while he was in need and while he had an abundance. Why, what, what is giving him that contentment? Verse 13, he says he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. That Jesus is where we find our contentment. That, it, that a contentment question, it's not about what we have or don't have, it's, it's not even, it's a different conversation, it's in Jesus' alone. It is so easy to think that there are certain resources that the world can provide that will lead to our contentment, but they never will. Nothing will ever be enough. That's why you can go on a mission trip to a third-world country. Um, I experienced this in Nicaragua where we were in a community, literally like stone um, houses, dirt floors, kids without shoes. They would like share a soccer ball for their toy. Um, More joy, happiness, contentment than I've ever experienced. It's not in the stock. And we know that. That's how we can see that. Think about us as a new church family, right? Um, like building pivots all the time. You're like, now you're like nervously awaiting an email from me that says where we're going to meet next Sunday or what time we're going to meet. Um, how often do you thought, man, if we just met it? Or if we just met it this time? Man, wouldn't that be a thing? Wouldn't that be great? Then we can be content. I'm not saying that's not a great conversation we should have at some point. But contentment isn't going to be found. Um, author Joshua Becker Actually quoted him I think it was last week He recently said in an interview That 80% of people have financial stress and he said the reason That 80% of people have financial stress Is because we mistakenly look To money For security And happiness Which obviously money Can never give us And I wonder how that hits you Because it, it hit me pretty hard Do you look to money or the stuff money can buy for security and happiness. Um, there is no amount of money that will ever be enough. And when we believe that lie, we're actually distracted from the real security and real happiness that is available to us in Jesus today, regardless of what our bank accounts like. Contentment is only found in Jesus. In Jesus, we're not alone. In Jesus, we can be content. Third, in Jesus, we are provided for. There's a, a minister who's no longer living, Christian apologist that's someone who kind of makes a defense for the faith and, you know, debates skeptics and rights and that kind of thing. His name was Francis Schaefer. Francis and Edith Schaeffer started a ministry called LaBrie a long time ago. Um, LaBrie was and actually still is a ministry that is for skeptics where they come and live and work um, together to sort of process faith and think about... Their doubts in sort of a safe environment The Lord historically has used Lebris, um to, to bring many people to himself as they, as they process Doubts and all, and all that kind of thing Alright so Francis and, and Schaefer started that As you might imagine starting a ministry Requires money um, So when they had this vision to start LeBrie, What did they do? Right, we think they like sound support letters And, and they networked and, and they did like a coffee and dessert night And they cast a vision And they made the ask and they had their budget laid out no, they did. Francis Schaeffer insisted only on praying. He insisted only on praying. They prayed for money to open the breed, and they continued to pray to have enough money to keep it open. And it's recounted in his biography as they prayed, literally money from undisclosed addresses would show up on their doorstep. They prayed, and God provided. They never asked a person for support. They just prayed. 19 in our passage. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What does verse 19 say to this? It is saying that God will provide for you if you're one of his children. He's a good father. He takes care of his kids. God's got you. He gives you what you need when you need it. And this is completely true. And there is great mystery here. Because when you begin to just think deeply about that for a few moments, our minds can suddenly be filled with all kinds of whatabouts. What about the homeless in our city that know Jesus? What about the unmet health-related needs of those who know Jesus and are begging God for help? What about the many types of injustices that God's people have experienced in the past and currently in different ways? It's interesting in light of those questions to think about the context into which Paul is writing this letter To the Philippians This Philippian church As we saw earlier in this series They were facing some kind of persecution We don't know the details of it Some kind of suffering Because they were in a pagan part of the world A non-believing part of the world They were experiencing some kind of disunity In the church He put a lot of ink to their disunity um, Within this church Epaphroditus um, nearly died Because he was so sick As, as he sort of is a go-between Between the Philippian church Paul. Paul was in prison, writing this letter. Um, and he was in prison because he was preaching about Jesus. And there were actually other people also preaching about Jesus outside of prison who were doing so to try to harm Paul. That's the context of verse 19. Paul does not give them verse 19 in this perfect vacuum where every practical need, as we think about it, is met. And Paul is like, everything's good. Philippians, everything's good. He says it into their suffering he says verse 19 into their persecution. He says verse 19 into their health problems for Epaphroditus. He says verse 19 into, the, into conflict that, hey, God's going to provide for all of your needs. So how does God meet our needs? How does God provide for us? The second half of verse 19, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The thing we all need most is more Jesus. There are of course some very practical needs that we have, and God often does provide for those needs in very normal ways, or sometimes in miraculous, supernatural ways, like he did for the Shafers as they started to breathe. I'm sure there are stories we could share of, of, of when we have all experienced that in our lives. But sometimes the material, practical need is not the thing we need most. Maybe what we need most in that moment is to be stripped of everything, to be brought to the complete end of ourselves and have nothing but Jesus to cling to. I think that's the thing that theoretically we can understand maybe what's best, but it's the thing we never want to ask off. God. God gives us what we need when we need it. And he has not promised material abundance in this life. He has not promised worldly wealth in this life. But he has promised himself to us forever. What if you lost it all and you came to realize that it was the greatest thing that ever happened to you because it led to a deeper experience of Jesus? We have everything we need in Jesus right now. I wonder what list you put in the beginning—those few things that like make life better. Do you know that you have everything you need in Jesus right now? Do you be content? God will provide for our every need, and He already has the person and work of Jesus. Right now, at this moment, every need met in Christ. Um, We've talked about some of Paul's main themes in this series. Um, True joy. Philippians' major theme. talking about finding true joy. Um, The importance of unity in the church. Major theme in Philippians. Do you know the biggie that's behind all the smaller themes in Philippians? It's that Jesus is the main thing. That's the big theme of Philippians. Jesus is the main thing. Why? Jesus was the main thing for Paul. He wanted Jesus to be the main thing for the Philippians, and this letter is written so that Jesus might be the main thing for us. Is Jesus the main thing in your life? I wonder how you would answer that. Um, He's better than money. Um, He can actually fully satisfy you when you're in need. He's so much more fulfilling than wealth, whether you're in need or abundance, he's better than both. He's better than more or different Uh, or better stuff. He's better than perfect physical health. He's better than a full social calendar. He's better than a great vacation. Um, There's a reason why Paul is advocating for Jesus to be our main thing because he really is that good and Paul knows that he really can deliver. What would it look like for you to surrender your life completely to Jesus? Um, And maybe that's a new idea for you. Um, If you are maybe newer to coming around Church, or considering what the Bible has to say. Maybe you wouldn't even consider yourself a follower of Jesus. And maybe for the first time this afternoon that's on the table for your consideration. If that's you, let me invite you into that, to make Jesus the main thing, to surrender all of your life to Him. Maybe you're coming from somewhere else this afternoon where there are areas of life that, yeah. that you're holding back, yeah. where you are not functionally in your life the way you live, maybe cognitively, it's a different story. the way you live your life, you are not yet convinced that Jesus is enough. And you think there are some earthly things that you need that will still deal with your contentment and happiness. If there's something in your life that you're holding back, um, what would it look like for you to surrender that specific thing, that specific area of your life to Jesus today? Um, For you to believe more deeply that Jesus can give you everything you need right now. Um, Jesus really does offer himself to you this afternoon and you are all invited it's pretty good. Father, uh, thank you um, for this good news um, that Jesus, you really are better than everything and that everything we need, uh, we have in you right now. Um, and Father, I, just, I recognize that that can land on us in just a number of different ways. Uh, that may um, feel like the, the most hopeful thing uh, that we could ever imagine. That may feel disappointing in certain ways. Um, that may feel impossible in certain ways, given um, the dire need that we are uh, maybe experiencing person right now. But Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us a deep and rich experience of your Son, Jesus. And even, uh, maybe even more so, as we come to the table this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, God is so kind to us that... Um, he.